But as Paul is closing out this wonderful epistle to the Ephesians, he now encourages the church as imitators of God, as children of light, to stand strong in the Lord. If you will, let's stand and read the Word of God together. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Therefore, or stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Let's pray. To precious God, we do praise you for your word. And we praise you, God, for the protection you give us as your people. There are battles going on that we do not physically see, but we do know the spiritual outcome, and we feel it, Lord. And during these times, God, I pray that you would teach us how to trust you in it. This is perhaps one of the reasons that evil is still allowed to do what it does, is God, you are allowing that to shape us, to shape our soul, to stand firm for your truth and your gospel and trusting you along the way. Lord, that brings you glory. So God, I pray as we listen to your word that you would teach us that we do not stand against these things on our own. Teach us, dear God, what you want. Teach us that you want us to trust you and to depend on your strength. That's hard for us to do, Lord, but we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Please have a seat. This idea here in Ephesians 6 of uh, military battle is not a new new theme. Not at all. I mean, if you look at the Scripture as an entirety from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through to Revelation, there seems to be a recurring theme here of battle and warfare. That's not there by accident. I don't think it's something that we're reading into the Scriptures at all. It is clearly evident that there is a cosmic war happening in the world that we live in. How many of y'all can say amen that you know it because you've got battle scars? 
You got battle scars, not just physically, but you got battle scars spiritually. There are times that your soul is so beaten down and, and, and crushed, you don't know how to get back up. We know that there is something happening. The idea that the devil made me do it is there's something to that. But I mean, I, I agree that too many people use that as an excuse for their own mess ups, right? But there is some truth to that statement. The devil made me do it. But Paul here in, in Ephesians chapter 6 is encouraging the church. The devil may be out there causing a lot of trouble, but we can stand firm against it. Not on our own strength, but by trusting in the Lord. You see, this Old Testament theme of battle is of God as a divine warrior. We see it all throughout Scripture. God is this divine warrior uh, that seems to be uh, what Paul is pointing to here. See, Paul's not imagining this thing as a new theme. He is borrowing and leaning on the truth of the Old Testament that God is this divine warrior who is defending his people who is coming against those uh, powers of the Spirit. And God, throughout Scripture, is seen as this triumphant God, this triumphant King who opposes all who come against His kingdom. It's all throughout Scripture. Turn with me to, and this is just one section that we're going to look at, but 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that's in the Old Testament, right? Second Chronicles chapter 20. We look at Jehoshaphat's prayer and leading his uh, people into battle. And Bill Barenkamp has been teaching on this on Sunday mornings uh, during the Sunday school hour. This is the foundation of an understanding of praise. See, even when we think about praise, praise comes out of a spiritual battle. And we see here Jehoshaphat praying for his people and, and how that results in going before God's enemies, right? Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 15. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but... Gods, Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Look at verse 17. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. We have this spiritual struggle against us constantly. And what does the Word of God say here time and time again? Here in verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. That is the point that Paul is making in Ephesians chapter 6. Because he's writing to the Ephesian church, a church populated predominantly by Gentile Christians who have come into the faith. And as we've gone through this wonderful book, we see that Paul is encouraging them to stand firm in the faith against opposition to the gospel. We see a theme in the scriptures that God's people don't have to fight the battle. 
because we have a God who has already done it and is continuing to do it, and we stand firm in Him. He gives us everything we need to stand firm. doesn't mean that we lay down and say, okay, God, I'm not going to do anything. Just go on out there and fight my battles for me. That's not where we're going at. God does not call His people to be passive, weak people. He does call us to be firm and confident in His strength. Amen? We stand firm and confident in His strength. You see, Paul here in chapter 6 is describing conflict and a triumph at the same same time. Even though there is this spiritual battle going on between the, uh, the principalities and rulers of the darkness of this world, there's also a triumph that has already happened. Now that, there's, there's this mix here of battle and triumph, conflict and, and victory. You see, God's enemies here is what Paul is pointing out. God's enemies against His people are not the Gentiles. You see, in the Old Testament, it was these other nations, these pagan nations that surrounded Israel and surrounded Judah and came against God's people constantly. We see the physical battle happening in the Old Testament as a shadowing toward the spiritual battle that is always happening as well. You see, these enemies that Paul talks about here are not the people of the Gentile world. Paul is not saying that the Romans and the Greeks are your enemies. Here's what Paul says. He says, your enemies are the sin. Your enemies are your flesh. Your enemies is death. Your enemies are the law that is oppressive to you. Your enemies are these principalities and spiritual darkness powers out there coming against you. So Paul here is saying, yes, you're going to be facing a lot of opposition. But God's people who are imitators of Him, who walk as children of light, are people and children of God who stand firm in the Lord. This is a continuation of how to walk in love, being imitators of God. If you want to imitate God as His children, we stand firm in His strength. That's another sign of a Christian, is that we, that we know that we have a Father in heaven, a Savior and a Lord through Jesus Christ, who is our victor. Amen. Who has conquered death, who has conquered sin, who has conquered all of this evil powers who were coming against us. You see, Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because the enemy is out there coming against us all the time. And we're going to look here today and kind of see what those battles look like. You see, this idea of being triumphant, this military victory. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he talks about Jesus and the triumph at the cross. And what he's doing is he's making a connection with a Roman military perception, a procession after a military victory. If you know the ancient ways of the way things were, when you'd go out to battle and you go out to these wars, and these wars would last months or years, you may not see somebody for 10 years or more before they came back home to Rome, but when they came back home, they were celebrated as victors and conquerors over the enemy. And there was a great celebration and a great parade for the warrior heroes. 
That's our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has done this already. He has died on the cross. He has triumphed over the spiritual darkness of the world through His death and resurrection on the cross. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, let's look here. When Paul says, be strong in the Lord, finally he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might. You see, unfortunately, this passage of Scripture talking about the armor of God and standing firm against spiritual powers has too often been mistaught and misinterpreted as if it's something that we do on our own. God has given us strength to be powerful on our own might and we go against all the enemies of God and blah, 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 and that's our job. Yes, but no. God does expect His church to be the gospel witness of what He has done as triumphant victor over sin and death. And we do stand firm against that, but we do not do this on our own power. We do not even use language where we're saying, I have all power. No, we don't. And that's the whole point. Paul says here in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of whose might? His might, not mine. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul here is saying, be cautious because we can become too smug you ever known somebody who, who was successful in something or was a sore loser? They actually won the, the competition and they walk around with their chest out like this and they're strong and they're smug and they're arrogant. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Y'all know those people? Paul here is actually writing. He's actually writing here to the church in Ephesus to be careful here. This is actually in verse 10 and 11. Be cautious against being overconfident in your salvation. Are we to be confident in salvation through Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Right? And that's what we stand firm on against uh, the powers of darkness. But Paul here is actually issuing out a caution against being too arrogant and too proud of the fact that we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ because that right there is the first way that these cosmic dark powers will step into our spirit. They'll get their nose under the tent, if you will, when we are too arrogant and prideful in who we are in God's people. And so he's cautioning us here in verses 10 and 11 to be strong in the Lord and in His might. And through God's strength and through God's might, we put on God's armor that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil because we cannot do this on our own. It's important for us to be reminded that God's children have plenty of enemies. That's what Paul is writing here. He's saying we've got plenty of enemies coming against us. And the child of God is called upon by God to stand firm in Christ. This is a command of ours. We are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We are to stand firm and say, no, the devil did not make me do that. He cannot because I stand in God's strength. The devil cannot overcome God. But the caution here is that the devil can overcome us. 
I want to make that very clear. This is a very important point that what Paul's saying here and what prisons and I'm sorry, theologians have said for centuries and centuries and centuries. Yes, these cosmic powers have strength, but we as human beings do not have the strength necessary to overcome it. These demonic powers are much stronger than we are. They can crush us. And the only thing that keeps them from doing it is God Himself. That's the point. That's the point. Right? Because here in verse 12, here's what he says. Here's what Paul says in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Notice there's, two, there's a contrast here in verse 12. Paul is saying, here's the caution, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You know what? We can, we can beat up flesh and blood. Right? The United States of America right now is the strongest military power in the world. We can do whatever we want to whoever we want at whatever time we want. That can be done. We've got enough military might to crush any flesh and blood that we wish. That's a very strong power. But there is not one thing with all of that military might that we have that we can do against Satan and his demons. Not one thing. And so it's very important here in verse 12. Paul says, we do not wrestle against human beings. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood as Christians. But we are in a war, a cosmic war against the authorities and the cosmic powers of darkness. And why is that? It's because Adam and Eve in the garden gave permission to Satan to be the Lord of this earth. You realize that? The reason that we are under the thumb of darkness and spiritual powers is because we as human beings in our sin are actually giving them the authority to do so. That is the sin that is upon us. And God says, no, you belong to me. And I want to come and protect you. And I want to make you mine. So it's important here for us to understand that there is a dark power out there that we are fighting against. Now, the danger here, and I love the words of C.S. Lewis here in his book, The Screwtape Letters, and I'm just going to paraphrase this. But here's the thing. We are called by God as His children to stand firm against Satan's maniacal plots to destroy the gospel. We We are called by God to do so. But here's the danger There's two sides to this. Either we can ignore the fact that there are devils and demons in darkness, and that's dangerous to say that that stuff just doesn't exist. The other side is just as dangerous when we can overemphasize the the fact that the devils and the demons are there. We can either ignore it or we can overemphasize it. And I think that's a very important caution here that C.S. Lewis tells us in his screw tape letters. If you've ever read that book, and it is a it's a literary, it's a fictional tale between of letters between demons, between screw tape and his nephews and the other demons, and he's just trying to tell them how to twist and manipulate human beings. It's a great read. But the caution here is number one, we do not ignore the fact that the demons are here. But at the same time, we do not give them so much power that we praise them as well. 
Right? There's a balance here. Here's what Martin Luther has to say. He says, The best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to Scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. But notice what Martin Luther says. There's two steps. What's the first way to drive out the devil? Just to use Scripture. And if, if Satan will not yield to Scripture, then you can laugh at him and say, Ha, ha, ha. That's, why, that's one of the reasons I wanted to sing that wonderful hymn this morning from Martin Luther. A mighty fortress is our God. This was a common theme from Luther and the Reformers. But notice that, see, the first thing to come against any kind of satanic powers is to use Scripture. Jesus did this in Matthew chapter 4 during His temptations. What did Jesus always say to every temptation that came against Him? First thing He said to the devil was, It is written. That's how we stand against the devil. The first thing that the first thing that we use, the first tool that we use is scripture. We must know scripture and then we must believe scripture because this is God speaking to us and to Satan saying stop it. Thomas More, another uh, another great Christian thinker said this, the devil, the proud spirit cannot endure to be mocked. And that's the problem with these demonic powers. Their, 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 their strength and their weakness at the same time is that they are proud. They're proud. They think that they can come up against God and, and just thwart Him. And that is a foolish errand. But at the same time, because they are so proud, that's their weakness. You can, you can mock them. You can ridicule them in the name of God through His Word, and that crushes their power. See, now Paul tells us here that we can summon up courage and strength to fight against this because we are often too weak to resist Satan. We are often too weak to resist his demons. We are often too weak to resist those temptations that come into our mind. And that's how it works. You know, the, 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 they, Satan and his demons are not going to come against us with horns and pitchforks and, and red tails. He's going to be real subtle. He's going to find some insecurity within us, and he's going to manipulate and exploit that. And the way that the devil and these dark forces work is they work within our spirit. They begin on the inside of us. And they start causing us to doubt ourselves, and they start causing us to doubt our faith, and they start causing us to doubt our, our salvation, and they start causing us to doubt this gospel that we stand firm against. Oh, you don't need to be talking too loudly about Jesus because people are not going to listen. Oh, you don't need to be out there being too much of a Bible thumper because people won't listen to Bible thumping. I would agree with that to a point, but that's, that's not... We're not supposed to hold back on the Scriptures. We're not supposed to hold back on the truth of the Gospel. Oh, don't get too happy and... Don't be one of those happy Christians because people don't like people being happy. Yeah? Oh, you know what? You think you're saved, but, you know, God really didn't save you. That right there is probably the number one thing that Satan and the demons will use against God's people to cause them to doubt their salvation. Now, is there a point where we do question and, and really reflect on our status before the Lord and say, Dear God, show me where I stand before you? Absolutely, that's biblical. But Satan will use Scripture against us and distort it. 
Isn't that what He did in the, in the garden? That's, that's how sin entered into the world. By that just one little hint of doubt. See, Paul tells us here that we are to depend on God's strength and have God's courage and God's strength become our courage and our strength because there is no way that we can stand against these enemies of God on our own. See, because of that, any attempt to resist the devil on our own power is, is false, it's foolish. You see, that's my point. We can, we can boldly proclaim how powerful we are against the devil and never once mention God and His mercy toward us. That's the danger. That's the danger. You see, because if God helps us, with his, with his extraordinary power. See, if God gives us His power to stand firm and confident in the faith, then there is no reason for us to lack confidence in the battle against these demonic forces. That's what Paul is writing here. He's saying, put on the whole armor of God in verse 11. This whole armor of God is something that God, that belongs to Him, that He gives us advantages through, that we can then, as we stand in God's armor, we can then stand against all of the schemes of the devil who's coming against us spiritually, mentally, intellectually, emotionally. You see the point here? This song that Caleb sung right before we stepped up to, to preach God's Word is this God of the angel armies. Whenever we read in the Old Testament the language of God of the heavenly host, that idea of the heavenly host is an idea of an angelic army out there fighting a spiritual battle. Amen? And the important part of this is God of the heavenly host, this God of the angel armies, is what the song says, is always, where? By my side. Now, Paul here impresses the danger that the Christians face here. That these enemies of darkness are such that no human power is able to stand up against them. These human enemies, our human enemies are weak, but, mere, but, but think about this. Even our human enemies, let's think about this. Those who come against us in the flesh, these people who mock us, who mock the faith, who, who tell us to shut up, these are actually agents of Satan himself. Satan will actually use the weak-minded, those who are against the gospel, for Satan's purposes. And we must be reminded here of what Paul tells us, that whenever someone comes against our faith, who comes against our person and, and who we are, and they ridicule us and they put us down, one thing to think about is, is it possible that Satan is beginning to use these people to come against us spiritually? I think so. Now, is there room for honest criticism of our faith and who we stand as Christians? Yeah, if we are not living up to the standards of faith, if we are not living up to what it means to be a Christian, then God places honest Christian brothers and sisters in our lives to tell us lovingly, look at what you're doing. That's not what we're talking about. If we are truly in sin, if we are truly in error, then God places brothers and sisters in our lives to correct us for the gospel. What we're talking about here is those who come against us and ridicule our faith, ridicule us as Christians, in turn ridiculing Christ. Satan is using those. 
people for that. And if we keep that in mind here, then that gives us a different perspective on how to stand up or even to receive what they say. We can stand up firmly and say, you know what, I hear everything that you're saying, but I don't agree with you. And we can stay that boldly. You see, in this day and age of relativism where everybody's truth is good and everybody's truth is right, how dare we tell somebody that they are perhaps mistaken? It's interesting that those who are against the Christian faith are the ones who can get away with telling us that we're mistaken. They can look at us and say, your Christian faith is foolish and it's stupid and, and you, you can't go out there and talk Christianity. That's too hard. And that's too mean. You can't do that. But they're telling us we can't do that. But that's what they're doing to us. Amen? We can stand firm against that because if we think about it, we can resist the temptation of seeking revenge against somebody. That's another tool of the devil. If he causes people to come against us and to hurt us physically or to hurt us emotionally, we have a temptation to seek revenge against them. And if we allow that to happen, then Satan wins. But if we stand firm in the peace and the gospel, and of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't have to seek revenge. We just stand boldly with a smile and say, I hear you, but you're wrong. The martyrs of the faith uh, throughout church history can t- testify to that. They would go to the cross. They would go to the stake and be burned. They would go to the guillotine and be beheaded, all because they dared to stand against what Satan was doing. Now, verses 14 uh, through 17. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here trying to figure out what these different images mean of the armor of God. It, I mean, there, there's, some, there's some importance to that in a, in a Bible study to look at this, but I think the bigger point here of this text needs to be emphasized over the small details of what each thing means, because the bigger point here of the armor, of putting on the belt of truth um, and putting on the shoes of peace and the boots of peace and standing with the word of faith um, and the helmet of salvation, all of these things have purpose. But what do they all look at? They all look at the fact that it is God's armor as a whole that we can depend upon. Because, see, God alone defends the righteous. God alone defends the faithful. And the child of God trusts and stands firm through faith in that God Himself is defending us. That's the point of this text. You see, this belt of truth here, it would have been considered the most important part of a soldier's equipment. Those who have been in the military, we always had uh, what they called uh, the utility belt, right? This, this was part of our BDU uniform. We would hang everything from the belt. Remember that? Right? You'd, hang, you'd hang everything from the belt around your waist. They didn't have shoulder straps. All of your equipment hung from that. That's why it was important. And so the truth of God and the truth of His gospel is exactly the most important thing that, that we gird ourselves with and everything else hangs upon. And see, the purity of the gospel will purge us of any dishonesty or hypocrisy as we stand against the devil. This gospel of peace, this idea... In verse 15, right? And as shoes for your feet or boots or, or things that are on your feet, shodding your feet with the readiness of peace, giving the gospel in peace. See, peace is one of the tools of the Christian. It's interesting here when we're speaking about language of war and battle that one of the main tools that we have is peace. Peace. 
You see that? If you're a soldier, if you've ever been in the military, or if you've ever gone hiking or been out working uh, out in the fields or out somewhere where it's dangerous, having good shoes is an important thing. Would you all agree? (laughs) It's always good to have a good pair of shoes because shoes will protect you. Shoes give you a firm foundation and won't let you fall. Boots and, and good shoes protect you from cold and injury, and we must wear these shoes of peace as a readiness for battle against the darkness. Are you ready to give a word of peace to the enemies of, Satan, of, of God? When people come against you are, you, are you able to use the words of peace as your boots of protection? Lastly, here in verse 16, now he talks about uh, the very important thing. In all circumstances, in verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. When the evil one, when Satan and his demons, when his cohort shoots flaming darts toward us in spiritual battle, we have a shield of faith that blocks it. Amen? But notice here that word and faith here go hand in hand. You have the shield of faith as a barrier which blocks the darts of the devil, while at the same time using the word as a sword. They both work hand in hand. You rarely see someone with a shield without a sword, and you rarely see somebody with a a sword without a shield. They kind of go together. You see, faith is nothing and can do nothing without the Word. Likewise, the Word is the object of faith and cannot be applied except by faith. That's why these things work together. Remember, like I said uh, about the, the Word being the sword. Remember, this is the first weapon against Satan in all things. Use the Word against the devil at all times. Lastly, this helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul talks about the hope of salvation as a helmet. The hope of salvation. What is salvation? Saved from what? In this context, clearly it's being saved from the, 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 the attacks of, this, of the enemy. But if we have been saved from sin, if we have been granted forgiveness of our sin against God, there is nothing that the devil can do to take that away. And that's our helmet that protects our head. You see, the head is protected by the best helmet, by looking toward heaven. This helmet of salvation is our looking upward toward God for our hope and our strength and our salvation. And the devil can never take that away. So let me ask you this. Are you standing strong Are you trusting our Lord? Are you using that strength and that faith and trust to defend your soul? And in so doing, defending the integrity of the Word and the integrity of the Gospel. You see, Paul's closing out chapter 6 here of this epistle by saying that we must stand strong in God's strength. We must stand strong in His faithfulness. We must stand strong in His holiness. We don't have to resort to the tools of the devil. The devil comes against us with sarcasm and doubt and ridicule. We don't use those same tools. We use a much different armory of peace, of salvation. 
because we have a God who has already conquered and triumphed over all of that. We can stand firm against the wiles of the devil. We can stand firm against sin. We can stand firm against anger and revenge of doubt and fear. So Paul is actually giving words of strength and encouragement here. And I want to ask you, where do you stand between the, with the Lord right now? Come on up, Caleb. I don't know where your, your spiritual life is at the moment. I mean, now, th- th- this text here does speak to the community of Christians. So I don't want us to misunderstand that, that what I'm asking you here. Yes, we must ask ourselves individually, where do we stand before the Lord? But where do we stand before the Lord as a congregation? As we've been moving into this new building and, and transitions over the last few months and, and more transitions, um, I've got a confession. I've had a lot of stress. <laughs> like, amen. A lot of people here have had stress. We've, we've had... Uh, we had all the schedules to figure out. We've been exhausted and tired. I've, I figured out in this move, not only moving here, but moving our house as well. Uh, I'm not as energetic as I was when I was in my 20s and 30s. Boy, that physical exhaustion can really wear your spirit down, can it? And there's times where you just, you know, the devil gets in there. He's going to find that weakness. He's going to cause you to, to get frustrated. He's going to cause you to get angry and bitter. He's going to cause you to not act like a Christian. He's going to cause you not to even think like a Christian. He's going to cause you to be doubtful. He's going to cause you to hurt others because there's a weakness in that moment of exhaustion, whether physically or spiritually. Now, we're not able to stand up against that. We're going to fall. We're going to fall. But Paul is saying, you know, you've got the armor of God here. Even though we may fall as soldiers, we have a, a general God, Almighty God, the a God of the angel armies, who will still love us and use us in the battle anyway, because it's when He forgives us that the Satan can't stand it. Right? When the devil comes against us and we get forgiven, wow. <laughs> That's the biggest thing against the devil that he can't stand. Is there something that we need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for? Is there something that we need to recognize that we are weak? That we need His strength. That's something I want to encourage you to think about. Let me close this in prayer. Dear God, we do thank You for the encouragement from Your Word. And dear God, I do ask that You would remind us every time that we are weak, that we have You to stand on and to lean on You are there with your hand outstretched for us to grab so that you can pull us up. When Satan comes against us, when his demons come against us, which is a reality that we cannot ignore, Lord, will you strengthen us with your peace? Will you strengthen us with our firm conviction that we are your children? And we do not have to bow down but we do not have to be arrogant either and revengeful. We can stand firm and peaceful and kind at the same time. I pray, God, that your word would just sink deep into our spirit. Continue to guide us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and we'll sing one more song.
page 154. I'm sorry. <laughs> 154. We'll sing the first verse and we're going to sing the chorus of it twice. love of Jesus, vast and measured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me, is a current of your love, leading onward, leading homeward to your glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love, all I need and trust is a deep, deep love of Jesus. Oh, the deep, deep love. Oh, the deep, deep love, all I need and trust is a deep, deep love of Jesus. Am I good? Ask for the heat. <laughs> Try to get that worked on and figure out what's going on, okay? If you want to cool down, go over to the children's side. The air conditioner's working great over there. <laughs> so, but I thank you guys. I do appreciate you. Y'all are great. But pray for somebody this week to be saved. Pray for their salvation. Pray that the Lord would give you opportunity to witness. Pray that God would use you in this spiritual battle. Amen. Let's begin that discipline of praying, not just for our needs, but let's begin that discipline of praying for others. Amen? Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Gospel. We thank You for Your salvation. We thank You, God, for all that You give us. Trust us, Lord, with Your grace. Trust us with Your Gospel to be messengers of Your grace. Trust us, Father, we pray, to use us in this spiritual battle. We are willing... But oftentimes we're also not willing. <laughs> so love us and, and forgive us. But Lord, I do pray you'd give us opportunity to be soldiers for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys.